Announcement. The revolution will not be televised. I repeat, the hemp revolution will not be televised. Welcome to the Hemp Revolution Podcast, the global hotspot for the buzz and the cannabis. Hear the secrets of the green rush from the dreamers who are writing the rules, innovating business, and changing history forever. Immerse yourself with the fascinating stories from the leaders in the hemp health revolution to learn how we are changing the game. Now here's your hosts, James Brinkerhoff and Sonia Gomez. What's up, guys? Sonia Gomez coming to you from Denver, Colorado. Super excited to be here with you on another Rock Your Socks episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast, where we are sharing and telling the real story of cannabis and hemp through the eyes of the entrepreneurs who are pushing this incredible industry forward. As you know, it is our mission to bring the truth about cannabis and hemp to your doorstep so that you can make empowered decisions about how you want to care for yourself the people that you love, and the conditions you may be suffering from. Check us out at medicalsecrets.com if you are someone looking for products that you can depend on to deliver the results that you're looking for. And if you're a budding entrepreneur or established business owner looking to solve some key challenges in your business, or perhaps you'd like to share your story with our community, shoot me an email, sonia at medicalsecrets.com, and I would love to connect and get to know you and your business better. As you know, it is my passion to farm out the best of the best of the cannabis and hemp industry. And today is no different. My guest, Mr. Chris Cronin has, has, oh, hey, darling, has, he has been (laughs) in the cannabis and hemp industry for 15 years, started like every green thumb working in a basement while honing his skills, knowledge, and love for this incredible plant. Later, he was the director of cultivation for a 100-acre grow out in Delta, which is in the western part of Colorado, which included greenhouses with thousands of plants starting started indoor from seed. He now is the current director of operations for a company called Hemp Nectar, which is involved in everything from drying hemp crops to processing them into crude, distillate, isolate, and water-soluble product. On the other side, he help he helps to run his family-owned bakery and commissary kitchen, the Cupcake Gypsies in Loveland, Colorado. Super excited to have him here. Ladies and gentlemen, help me put your hands together and welcome my good friend, Chris Cronin. How's it going, Chris? Hey, happy to be here. Nice to talk to you. Super excited to have you here too. I was half hoping and expecting to have a cupcake on my desk to sort of celebrate this whole idea. I'm like candle in hand ready with no cupcake. So I guess I'll have to come to to Loveland to test and try that out. But for folks who have not done extensive research into who you are and what you're up to, why don't you take a quick second and tell us, who are you? Who is Chris? What is your background and how did you end up in the cannabis craze? Sure. You know, uh, like you said, uh, for the last 15 years, I've been involved in cannabis and hemp and extraction and working with just kind of lots of people on developing products and really digging my feet into the ground. Uh, I started like pretty much everyone else did. Uh, I wanted to grow a plant. (laughs) I wanted to make some money. I wanted it uh, to be the juiciest, most terpened out cool cannabis, you know, the kind of the thing that everyone wants to do. That took years. 
It took years <laughs> and it took hundreds of thousands of dollars of me learning the hard way. I'm, I'm sure there's an easier way, but I, I paid, I kind of paid my way into all of my knowledge. So uh, basically after years of indoor growing, um, just a kind of heads up, I was a soil grower. Uh, I'm really into soil sciences, amendments, uh, basically controlling every facet of the cannabis plant, uh, air, you know, the humidity, soil pH, etc. But after I gained all that knowledge, you know, you meet a lot of people in the industry. What ended up happening is I became friends with, uh, with, with this guy who had wanted to start a 100-acre grow. Of course, I said yes. So ended up moving out to the uh, western slope of Colorado. From there, you know, we kind of started planning. Um, we wanted to do netifim in the ground. We wanted to have, you know, thousands of plants per acre or just under a few thousand per acre. We were going to do nutrient mixing systems and, you know, the whole charade. That lasted for a couple of years. We ended up doing, you know, uh, indoor growing with the Argus system. We were doing greenhouses outside. Everything was great right up until, you know, it came time to do sales. And, you know, I, I suspect that a lot, of, a lot of hemp growers run into the problem when it, it comes time to sell their product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we learned the hard way. Regulations just kept getting harder. Um, you know, some fields just didn't go the way that we wanted it. Plants weren't really viable for sale across state lines. So the original... You know, the original people that we had had dealings with, you know, it fell through. And that becomes really hard for a hemp company. So kind of fast forward, we made it through all that. I ended up becoming the director of operations for what uh, Hemp Nectar, as you said. And we do everything from drying crops all the way to processing uh, of any kind of thing you want. Crude oil, distillate, isolate, uh, water-soluble products. And did you guys move out of the cultivation piece and directly into sort of the processing and um, pre-manufacturing? So, you know, uh, what ended up happening is we wanted to grow uh, on an organic farm. They had their organic certification. Um, the problem was is that the, the plants that we needed to bring also had to be organically certified. Now, I'm not going to go into kind of all of the problems we ran into, but it didn't work out on the farm that we had, uh, that we had planned to, to crop on. So instead, um, we had also planned to be you know, an all-around business. Uh, we had already planned out. My company, like I said, does drying and processing. So mm -hmm. we have a, basically a million-dollar dryer uh, from an industrial hemp drying company that we built in uh, around a... 8,000 square foot part of our facility. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It does around uh, about 1,500 wet pounds per hour into, wow. yeah, it's, it's quite the machine. 1,500 wet pounds per hour. Uh, we normally reclaim about, you know, 40 to 50%, around 40% of the weight just from how much moisture evaporates out. But when we do that, we're able to basically help farmers who have uh, smaller crops kind of flip their fields immediately and turn it into uh, into super sacks dry material so that they can process right away it eliminates a lot of the uh, a lot of the storage that farmers would need to otherwise cure their plants 
and it, and it stops a lot of the a lot of the hemp farmers from having to to basically field harvest and field cure, which crushes cannabinoids and potency loses you money, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Totally. Well, so, very, very, very interesting. Has it been well-received in your community? It's been well-received. Uh, the What we're finding working as a business is we, we have to kind of vet the people that come to us more. Uh, you know, as in any startup, you kind of learn, you know, what you need to do, you know, initially, like uh, having different farmers more buck their plants or if, if they're failing their crops or if they're just going to, you know, deliver a semi-truck full of open plants. <laughs> For us, it was it was a learning process into finding, you know, really how we need to deal with the farmers so that we can have the most harmonious type of relationship. Right. And what has that turned into for you? What's the criteria now if people want to work with you? Um, you know, wh- what do they need to do to be prepared? You know, the easiest way to work with us or basically any industrial uh, drying company is to, it starts with the plant and how you harvest. They, it's best to have a certain type of moisture and it's best to buck your plants. In order to dry most plants, uh, I know there's a few new industrial dryers that dry the entire thing, uh, but I, I'm not sure how they're harvested afterwards. But it, it's best for most industrial dryers to buck the plants because they have to be milled before they go through a drying process. If you mill stocks and you know other things that are, are not buds, it gets into the final product. And depending on what you're doing with the final product, you know, practicing. Uh, a lot of money can be lost uh, on stems. So uh, anyone who would choose to say, you know, for example, ethanol, any, any ethanol extractor would prefer that whoever is harvesting their plants in the best interest of both parties buck their plants just because stem will absorb so much of the extra solvent and it, and it costs both parties a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just kind of why we, uh, you know, it, it starts with initially setting the expectation of, uh, you know, what we'd like farmers to do and and the best way to work with us. Yes, love that. Okay, cool. Well, that's a pretty intense background. Talk to me a little bit about. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you really clearly define like what is happening for the industry as a whole right now. You know, there's like this huge. Love amount of excitement. You feel like you have knowledge and expertise and all kinds of things to make this sort of like a no brainer win. Right. And people, people are coming in with all different levels of experience and are just like consistently hit with the change uh, in tides around regulation and, you know, compliance and quality and, you know, all of this different stuff. And, you know, rightfully so considering this industry is still relatively immature that doesn't mean that it's not maturing at a rapid rate but it is still what i would consider an adolescent or teenage industry here's the deal with teenagers they need constant monitoring and reminder (laughs) you know that that uh, there is a standard of operation that we have to abide by in order to get the result that we're looking for, right? And 
fortunately and unfortunately at the same time, we are a self-governing agency. And so we only have ourselves and each other to be accountable to. Um, Not everybody respects that. And it's, you know, it's really important to be able to clearly manage and set expectations so that everyone, including ourselves and the, you know, feeling of the industry as a whole is that we are, you know, professionals and deserve to be treated as such. Um, What would you say is the favorite thing that you get to do that keeps you just like super excited about your, you know, getting up in the morning and having to go to work? (laughs) Well, I mean, drawing is only half of our business. Uh, The other half of our business is extraction and I am the director of operations. So I either get to wake up and I get to choose, you know, how much production I want to set goals for our team and I can go control. So one more thing about our dryer, it is basically a full, uh, we need a lead operator and it's all digital. So you go up to a giant touch screen and you control every facet of the machine. So for me, it was really cool to kind of teach, uh, everyone that we work with kind of, a you know, a forward way of thinking of how you get to overcome problems, you know, how to achieve the right moistures, you know, how are dryers remediating plants. That's one thing that gets me excited. The other thing is uh, our extraction lab is awesome. You know, getting to go into C1D1s, getting to make distillate, you know, it's all a really fun process. And it's really rewarding to kind of see literally money coming out of a machine that, that you're helping kind of produce. <laughs> so even though we're, we're, yeah, I love making, you know, the CBD product itself. And, and I, I'm a, I'm really behind, you know, all of the health benefits and, and everything I believe it does for people. But, but for me, you know, the personal kind of win, um, being able to kind of set production standards and, and kind of watching literally like kind of either it's hemp, being dried, falling into a sack is, is money production or, you know, the distillate dripping into our, into our large collection balls, money production. It all feels good to me to kind of keep, keep our staff going, keep everyone happy, keep making a good product. And inflow. And inflow. And then things like this, you know, um, eventually a lot of people in the cannabis and hemp community, I'm sure as you know, uh, it's hard to meet a, a really solid connection. You know, a lot of people will, will say they can do, you know, basically, you know, everything. And then uh, come to find if you, if you're not initially on top of your stuff and knowing what to expect out of other people, you can get burned here. And I, I know that's happening to lots of farms, uh, lots of new, lots of new growers who, who have a certain expectation of, Hey, I got these seeds from, from, you know, I don't even know who. And he told me, they told me it's going to be a certain amount of CBD percentage. And I'm expecting my crop to be 10 to 20% CBD, but then none of that happens. And, you know, a lot, a lot of growers are getting crushed by that. So to me, I feel good about educating people on, on making safer, safer moves and and better bets on, on entering the hemp industry. Yes. Well, at the end of this, we'll be able to share some of that knowledge and wisdom that is attached to your passion. Sorry, always. I kind of just go off on tangents a little bit. I have a, I have a lot of feelings (laughs) for how people can do things. 
Oh, I love that. Well, we're going to have a good fun here in, in just a minute. But first, you know, let's talk about the, the elephant in the room for a second. Um, I love myself a good pachydermy. And uh, the thing is, is that, <laughs> the thing is, is that, um, you know, what you're talking about is true for many folks in the industry. They, um, there has been quite a bit of falsehoods that have directed decision-making for businesses. And, and it's ended up being, you know, or at least carrying the potential to be pretty devastating. My question for you in building your business model, since you have been around for a while and you've gotten to see sort of the ups and downs of entrepreneurial ship, at least here in Colorado, I would say that we're in the third phase of investor and business owner where there's a little bit more education. It's not as easy to sort of fool around People expect and want you to be really direct and forthcoming with what you can do. And, you know, before that wasn't the case, we had more of a roots movement happening here. Um, But I'd love to hear from you and you shared already a little bit. What are some of the challenges that prevent you, um, you know, whether it's operationally or otherwise, um, you know, that, that keep you from growing as quickly as you could have or, or perhaps should have. Some people say it's banking. Some people say it's marketing. Some people say it's bullshitters in the industry. What was it for you guys or what is it for you guys that, you know, for you feels like, God, if we could just break on the other side of this, we would be growing so much faster. Honestly, it's a, it's kind of a, a, I'm not involved in much in sales and whatnot, but I know that, uh, kind of what make or makes or breaks companies is who you partnership with and kind of who you can, who can assist you and who you can assist to kind of keep things going and make both companies better so that everyone can benefit. A lot of times in this industry, I've experienced quite a bit. Everyone kind of, like I said before, promises one thing, but upon delivery, it, it's something else. If there was a way to kind of vet people, I don't, even, I don't even like that term. If there was a way just so that there can be a little more trust in, in the hemp industry as a whole about what type of product uh, people are dropping off and processing. I've seen, I've seen things where you know certain people will drop off a product and they're told one thing or they believe one thing. They're, they're told, hey, you know, we tested this full panel. Everything's kosher. Uh, go ahead and accept it. It should be around ten percent. If you're not the, if you're a person accepting something like that, there has to be some sort of defense so that the other party can't say, "Hey, you did, you know, X to our hemp, or our hemp didn't come back the way that we expected it to." I think there just needs to be a, a really clear line on on you know product uh, expectations. It, it's kind of hard to uh, you know put it all into words, but if there could just mean more clarity and, and more trust in the hemp industry, I think that's pretty much what every, what our business especially could really use with other parties. We have some excellent deals going through. Uh, so we're, we're really happy here, but I have met quite a few farmers in the last, in the last few years who, who are running into all of these pitfalls just because the, whoever they're, they're going to, you know, and they're extracting, Actor says they can remediate one thing, but turns out they can't. Four weeks went by, and and now you know both parties are kind of, kind of hurting. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know I how to a lot put too. it into words better, but it, we, just, we just need more trust. Yeah. Well, I think it's beyond trust. We've gone through, we've gone through various companies who Oh, go for it. I'll go for it. No, that's okay. I was just going to say beyond trust, I think it's accountability. You know, I think a lot of people are just trying to get started and they pre-frame themselves as being something or someone that they're not instead of, you know, I think I think it's hard to to believe that somebody's willing to give you an opportunity. You know, everyone assumes that you're looking for the biggest and the best. I do. I assume that when I get on the phone with a with a CEO that they're expecting me to be the best, right? And exactly. I and sometimes that is challenging, you know, especially I remember being a startup and feeling like, oh, these guys aren't going to want to do business with me because I'm not the best, I'm not the biggest, but I'm the best for this. I'm the best for this problem specifically. And so that's the one that I want to solve. And that was, you know, it takes a lot of confidence to be able to step in there and say, you know, this is who I am, this is what I can do, and this is what I can do for you, um, you know, and then feel like you are worthy of the opportunity that you're, that you're going after. And so I think a big challenge in this industry, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a big challenge in this industry specifically is everyone's trying to be the biggest and be the best. And a lot of folks are failing for two reasons. Number one, they're trying to keep up with the Joneses and there's just no way. There's no way as an independently owned artist and farmer that you can keep up with the Joneses. Like it's just too difficult. Exactly. You know, vice versa. The Joneses can't keep up with you when it comes into quality and, and producing an artisan product that's really exclusive and unique. They are serving a different clientele. So for me, there's room for everybody. I just think that not everybody knows how to operate in integrity with confidence around where they are instead of trying to be something that they're not. And so there's a lot of falsehoods and therefore compromising trust between you know, companies and not a lot of deals are getting done because of it. Um, what for you, Chris, has been, um, has been the biggest win? I mean, you're, you've talked about some of the things you have in the work. I mean, you got to be proud. You have to be proud of the fact that you have, you know, of overcome all of the different pitfalls and adversities that come along with transitioning, you know, thinking that you're going to knock it out of the park. First of all, a hundred acre grow in Delta, like, holy smokes, you know, I lived in parachute for a while. So I know all about that area <laughs> and man, that's, that's a lot. And now you guys are doing something, you know, almost completely different. What is, what are you most proud of in your company, in your, and, and your company's accomplishments? Let me think for a second. You know, a a lot of companies try to, what I like to say, they're just, they try to do too much. Uh, you know, when you try to do everything for everyone, you spread yourselves really thin. You know, uh, here we've been really able to focus and put the right type of people in the right places. So right now I've been focused on our drying facility. Uh, We were basically able to double our capacity by kind of reworking the space that it was in. Uh, We got rid of what we were, we were using a, a little background. Uh, in order to convey into our dryer, we were originally using screw augers. Uh, you know what they normally use like for grain and corn? Uh-huh. But 
But augers, if anyone plans on drying, um, do not work for hemp. Hemp in itself is when you compact it, it becomes stronger than steel. So even our uh, even our big badass mill can have trouble when we overload it with hemp. Yet I could throw a car engine in it and it would tear it up. So for me, uh, I just I, I really in, enjoy ways to to make things more efficient. What we did here is uh, we went from the screw augers and we built an entire conveyor system. So we never had any augers seize up on us, and we were basically able to double our capacity, and we were able to go find more accounts because of that. There's always little fixes when you're when you focus on one thing. Like I said, if if I were to focus on the extraction lab and our C one D one and our analytical lab and our dryer, I would essentially get nothing done. So I think just like what I'm doing, I think companies need to kind of focus on their particular thing they're trying to sell or produce. Love that. That's a, that's the one thing. Um, that's the one thing rule. And I was talking to one of my mentors who had said something really funny that you reminded me of earlier when you were talking about like, yeah, I thought I was going to get rich, but then I realized after going broke, trying to get rich, that it was going to take, <laughs> you know, a lot more than, the desire right. to make it happen. And he was talking, <laughs> right. you know, he was talking about the similar situation where he was like, my friends were growing and I wanted to grow. So I took my savings and I went and I bought myself this and I started to grow. However, I burned through my whole savings and a couple of loans from friends before I actually made any money. Right. I heard, I heard this is the best product and I heard this is the best additive, but I never really focused on figuring out how to grow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was cracking up when I heard you say that because it's, you know, it's all relative. And I think that people, you know, come in here trying to be everything to everyone instead of getting like really um, focused on who is the one person that they're going to solve the one problem with uh, yeah. or with the one thing. Um, so I, I can fully, fully relate to that. Well, my my uh, curiosity then comes to this, and you, and you've already started to hint at it. Knowing that there are you know budding entrepreneurs and new business owners, and um, you know even established business owners who are having to go through a forced transition right now due to compliance or you know whatever circumstances. What would be some key pieces of advice that you would offer to help someone make that quantum leap and you know stay relevant or become relevant in the industry? Sure. Well, you know, it all starts to me, uh, you know, with the base product you're getting. If you want to get into hemp, you need to make sure that you're researching the best, most qualified, backed up seed that you can. Um, if you are getting into drying, you want to make sure that your initial product is the best hemp, it's the most bucked and the best shucked it can be. If you're getting into extraction, you want to make sure that your initial product is the best it can be so you can make the best crude, the best distillate, the best isolate. So you start there. You want to make sure that you have the best seed. After that, you know, uh, don't go too big. Every farmer who can choose between, you know, 20 and 100 acres, start with 20. 
do not go all the way there. If you're not experienced and you don't know how to create an entire program from seed to harvest. Third, starting with that initial seed, try to make sure that you are buying a seed that's qualified, you know, at 15 plus percent CBD. What I'm seeing is a lot of farmers are just vetting their seed because they think it's cheaper. What happens is they're growing these plants that only end up being like three to five percent CBD. And if I could tell farmers one thing, it's that three and five percent CBD plants are are virtually worth nothing. You're gonna you're gonna lose your butt out on your entire harvest. No one's gonna pay you, and it will not turn into quality CBD no matter what you do to it. So that is, that's I think that is really like the best piece of advice I could give is, is really focus on the plant itself, and then your sales. You know. Have an outlet for how you want to harvest it. Start talking to, to tollers. Start talking to an extraction lab. Start talking to farmers who want to buy super sacks. You kind of have to do the all-encompassing thing at once. And then last thing, you know, man, I can't really think of anything better than having a good seed and making sure that your CBD plants are higher than 3 to 5%. Make sure you give them the right nutrients and don't just feed water. <laughs> That's some pretty good advice, me amigo. Um, one of the things that makes me think of is when I was, you know, eight years old and I was sitting on a Saturday morning on the living room floor, which was always really warm from the sun. Like we had this giant um, back, like uh, sliding glass door, and the sun would come beaming through it and it would make the carpet like just super, super hot. So I'd always lay there on Saturday morning and watch cartoons. Well, <clears throat> the commercial that would come on every single time was the Gerber Baby food commercial. <laughs> and there was these aerial shots. I remember it so clearly because I was like, that's some good shit. Like why those carrots look more orange than any carrot I've ever seen. And those peas are greener than any pea I've ever seen. And that beet is redder than any beet I've ever seen. And I was watching these commercials where they were talking. I can almost remember it verbatim where they talked about the source of the food started with this, you know, or the, the quality of the baby food started with the quality of the farm that grew it. And it would always show this like old farmer walking down the line and pulling up a bushel of carrots. And then it it would get whipped up and turn into this jar of miraculous baby food. And then this adorable baby was on the front label. And that's always stuck in my mind. Now come to find out four kids later, Gerber (laughs) baby, you know, food is bullshit. And Johnson and Johnson is not what you want to use. But you know, but the look and the message and all of that stuff, that was, that was accurate. And it's really funny to me that as we are growing as a hemp industry and a cannabis industry, that we hold ourselves to a completely different standard as we would when we, than we do when we talk about our food. Our food is not even held to the standard that we hold for the kind of hemp that we're going to smoke or 
manufacture or work with or whatever. We have all these crazy guidelines. But um, at the end of it, the meat and potatoes is the quality. And I really appreciated that you emphasized that because quality is often more important than quantity. And I think that everyone gets this big boner over like my farm is bigger than yours. And you're like, okay, cool. Everybody has a farm just, you know, but you know, everyone has a different size farm. And so I have to just second, I have to second what you're saying um, in as far as quality goes. And the message that I hear you sharing is more around the preparedness rather than the size. Absolutely. If they're not prepared to run a hundred acre farm, why would you run a hundred acre farm? Um, If you can't run a five acre farm, what business do you have doing 20, you know? So (laughs) that's pretty good advice. Absolutely. I can tell you this. um, If you have 20 acres of CBD that is in between 15 and 20%, people like my company are going to run to you. If you have a hundred acres of CBD that's ten percent and less, I I really wish you the best of luck. Why is that? Can you explain a little bit for people who may not understand why? Um, I do it all the time, but it, you know it's nice of to hear your perspective. Um, why is it so important to have a stabilized strain that will produce a higher quality? Um, or a higher percentage of CBD in particular? Let's talk about this. Um, CBD, um, as far as sales go, you're able to charge more per the percentage. Um, only so many people can, can use an end product with CBD that is very low. And to that regard, they'll pay you a very low price. So if, if we'll say this, if you have 100 acres of low CBD, by the time you spend all of that money processing or tolling with another company, what you're going to collect back on that is not very good. And you're going to have an even harder time selling that to a company who's going to have to spend more money to extract a lower CBD. If you have something that's a lot higher, say an example, something super high, uh, above 20, 22% CBD. Now, when I'm taking that to extraction labs, they're basically going to uh, run it through their system and their crude oil that they're going to make from that is going to be a very high percentage. Putting that through another process into distillation, that CBD percentage becomes even higher, say, say in the 90s for cannabinoids and high 90s for total cannabinoids. That is, uh, you can... You reclaim back, let's step back. Here's a number example. Say I have 10 kilograms of of crude oil. That's super high CBD percentage. I am more likely to turn 80 to 90% of that into distillate at a high CBD percentage. Now, let's say I'm processing that same crude oil, uh, a much lower CBD percentage. I am only going to reclaim, you know, 50, 60, max 70% of the CBD that is in that crude oil while spending even more time to process it. It comes to a point where it's almost not worth it for either party to process something of low CBD percentage 
because A, you have a hard time selling it. B, it takes much longer to process. And then uh, C, who's going yeah, who's buying it? And not to be kind of a downer, but it, it, that's the challenge that a lot of people who are growing, you know, less than quality plants are reaching. Now, what do we do? So, having a high CBD percentage, uh, among other things, is almost—I don't want to say guarantees you, but but extremely raises your chances of being able to to be successful as a farmer, a company, a retail, whatever it is. So what I hear you saying is that it's sort of the standard operating right now is that, you know, regardless of, regardless of your percentage of THC, you still have to do steps one through 10 in order to get a finished product. The exactly. difference in the difference is if you at step one, if you put in a product that has twenty percent CBD um, versus a product that has ten percent CBD, the amount of oil and the value of that oil that comes out on the back end is far higher. That yes. the margins increase for everybody, whereas if you produce a lower quality or not necessarily quality quality, but a lower percentage oil, uh, flour, you get a lower percentage oil or perhaps less of the oil, which means that the margins are not the same and therefore your profit, you could potentially take a loss. And this is really important for you guys to be listening to while you're considering farming, while you're considering coming in. And, you know, I know a lot of you have legacy farms and I know a lot of you guys have existing assets that you want to be able to leverage um, in this space. However, I think a lot of folks have gotten their ass handed to them recently because they have sourced seeds from the wrong place or they don't necessarily understand how to properly feed and nourish and nurture, you know, from soil to sale a, um, a high quality plant. And you run the risk of burning hot and having to take your whole farm down. And then you run the risk of not producing a high enough um, quality product the where it's attractive for your partners and extractors. Let me ask you a different question, Chris. I think there's, a, there's, you know, let's just say, and I think this is still true. Let's just say that the buyer and the budding entrepreneurs are relatively ignorant and they think they're sourcing from the right place when in fact where they're sourcing from ends up giving them a lower quality, you know, CBD. What are some of the strange, you know, I think compliance is always the governing risk. Like, is my crop going to burn hot and I'm, am I going to lose yeah. everything? If CBD, if the CBD percentage is said to be higher, does that also mean that the THC is going to be higher or does it equal out? You know, again, that, that goes back to how much you can trust your genetics. Uh, anything can happen from any outside, you know, force of nature. Um, hail, you know, you could have some crazy thing leak into your soil that you're unaware of, or you could be overfeeding, it could overmature. The best way to kind of stay away from, from going into a hot stage with your plants is to, to find a testing lab. Um, now I wouldn't worry about a full panel test. I would basically test for potency. Potency is only, you know, a $20, $30 test. Go take it off your biggest, your, or, you know, some plants that look really good and start doing it 
in the previous weeks up to your final harvest. Now, what that does for you is is that's going to protect you. You can watch the THC slowly rise. And once it hits to a a point where where you're uncomfortable or you just kind of want to be safe, you should harvest that. But unless you have uh, your own, you know, analytical lab like we do, I, I might find, you know, the closest, easiest way to, to take your hemp and, and take it to a testing lab. I mean, you only need to grab a couple grams and they should be able to test it. And it, it's, well worth, it's well worth it to test it over losing your entire harvest or having the mandate you cut it down. I accidentally hit me on my cheek. Um, I really like that advice because what you're saying essentially is that you have to self-regulate and you have the opportunity to self-regulate. And, and here's the great thing, guys. THC is something that develops a little bit later in the process of growing. Actually, your CBD, your highest CBD content and when your plant is the most vibrant is before the trichromes start to shift colors. When they are clear that's when you have like a really super high cannabinoid rich CBD prominent, or um, you'll see the THCAs or the plant acids um, really, really thriving at that point. So it's okay. It's not like weed when you're, that you're trying to show in the store, like hemp can be harvested pretty early if you're looking for you know, rich cannabinoid rich profiles. Um, and I think that's a big common misconception in the, in the uh, farming community is they think they have to see it go full season when in fact that's cannabis, that's cannabis rules, not hemp rules. (laughs) So, so that's really, really super good advice. Um, are you relieved to be working in a different you know, outside of necessarily the farm, do you guys still have your farm operational or are you primarily running what I, you know, we're we're looking uh, to start the farm again, the right way. (laughs) It just more got put on a back burner. Um, Not something that we were planning on, on stopping by any means, but uh, it just became to a point where we couldn't get plants in the ground so late. So we decided against it and we ended up uh, selling the plants that we had. Yeah. Good um, one. But yeah, you know, I, I, I personally, I'm a farmer at heart. I have a garden. I have the annoying amount of succulents in my house. Like, I really love to grow plants. When I'm talking about I love seeing production and how it kind of correlates to like almost watching money flow, there is nothing mm-hmm. more satisfying to someone like me than kind of that self-sustained, you grow your own basically money on trees. And I, I, I absolutely do it, not just for the money, but because I have a, a complete passion for cannabis and hemp and I've been doing it for so long and it's, uh, I'm not sick of it at all. But to me, watching something grow from seed all the way to harvest, it's more satisfying than, than anything I can really think of. So I would like to get back to growing, honestly. But uh, for that. now, oh, let's say for now, you know, uh, I'm a hard worker. I really want my company and all my workers to succeed. So when we get to gar- well, back to farming, we'll get back to farming. I'll, I'm ready and willing. But, uh, you know, uh, one, th- one thing at a time. We focus on one thing at a time. 
Yes, another great piece of advice. Absolutely love that. Where can folks find you if they're interested in following along with what you're doing, where you guys are going, what you're up to in the industry? Honestly, uh, I would just go to LinkedIn and, and kind of send me a message. And that way we can, we can corroborate, we can correlate, we can meet up, we can talk, I can help mentor, answer questions, do whatever uh, anyone would like. But that's, that's the easiest way to kind of contact me. And if they want to see what the company is up to or are interested in working with the business? Sure. E- email me and uh, I'd be happy to kind of tour around, uh, uh, tell you all about it and, and anything they want to know. Um, they can also go to hempnectar.com to, to figure out, or not figure out, just to kind of see a, a nicely kind of a view, nice, nice open view of what we do from seed to harvest. Nice. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This has been a super awesome interview and really value-driven. I really enjoy hearing your sound and very educated advice. Um, So thank you for that. And I look forward to being a part of and watching your guys' success flourish in the coming months. Um, And for those of you guys who are a part of our community, thank you so much for Uh, being a part of our hemp revolution family and following us on medicalsecrets.com. I invite you now to like and share this content. Tag five people that you know it'll make a difference for. As you know, it is our mission to empower you with the truth about cannabis and hemp so that you can make educated decisions about how you care for yourself, the people that you love, the conditions you may be suffering from. We have published over 1,200 articles on our on our blog, medicalsecrets.com. So if you're someone looking for products, check us out there at medicalsecrets.com. And if you're a budding entrepreneur looking to solve some of the more significant challenges in the industry or just looking for some ways to get started without fucking it up, shoot me a message. <laughs> I'd love to hear your story and connect with you. Sonia at medicalsecrets.com. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Sonia Gomez, and this is the Hemp Revolution. We'll see you on our next show, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. We took notes on this episode for you, along with all the links and resources mentioned in the episode. Get them free on the show notes page here at www.medicalsecrets.com. If you love this show and our content, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really want to help us get the message out there, please rate, review, and tell all your friends. With your help, we can continue to reach the world with our message. And until next time, we hope you join the hemp revolution, and we challenge you to dream big and love the life you live.